Again, good morning and greetings to the remnant of the North Shore Community Church. Uh, We have uh, probably, uh, well, dozens and dozens of our congregation out in the Pocono Mountains. I drove back this morning, and uh, I bring you their greetings. We've had a great retreat. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. And here Jesus speaks some hard words. (laughs) But we preach the whole Bible, so we need to hear them. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when All the time, there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, They may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So far the reading of God's Word given to us by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus knows that people love to judge other people. In particular, Jesus knows the sinful human heart loves to disapprove of other people. When I was in college, in my fraternity house, late in the afternoon, the one television show that was always on, the Jerry Springer Show. You're too young to remember the Jerry Springer Show, but this was this kind of television show where Jerry Springer would bring all these dysfunctional, very troubled people into his studio audience and parade them across the stage. And the studio audience would hoot and howl and hiss and boo and express their judgment over these these pathetic people who would make these terrible decisions and bad decisions in their life. And, of course, the worldwide television audience would watch and vicariously join in the judgment. Now, we are much too sophisticated today for that. We have court TV. And Madison Avenue knows the advertisers pay top dollar because they know we eat it up. Who would, in their right mind, would want to watch legal proceedings on television? And yet, 
There is something delicious about watching. Now there must be 15 different judge shows. Watching the judge scold those people and tell them off and put them in their place for what they did wrong. And, and, and the advertisers pay top dollar because these shows are so popular. People love to express disapproval of others. And it happens in the church. And the history of the church is replete with examples of the church taking the scarlet letter and placing it on the breast of the one who has sinned. And Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote the great novel by that title, didn't he? The Scarlet Letter. And while the church professes its love for the poor, pathetic sinner, nonetheless the judgment falls and it falls again. And the church so often has participated in this, this insidious and fatal sin of judging other people. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been half awake a third of the time, is Jesus addressing a particular group of people. Who were they? They were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the so-called righteous ones, right? They were the ones who had these standards, and by and large, they were man's standards, human standards, opinions, and they were set up, and they used these opinions in order to manipulate, control, and largely express disapproval of the common man and the common woman. And instead of building them up and encouraging them in the faith, they stood in a kind of righteous posture over the rest of the congregation. So Jesus was critical of the Pharisees, but don't kid yourself. My name is John Yenchko, and I'm a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> Any other recovering Pharisees in the room? Point number one in your outline, you see it there, is this question, are you guilty of the foolishness of judging? What does Jesus say? He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus is giving us a warning here. Can you hear it? Be careful. And so first of all, Jesus says, it's foolish to judge others. Because when you do... Jesus says, you're inviting judgment in return. And I wondered this week, what does he mean by this? When you judge another person, what he means is you are actually asking for everyone else to do the same thing to you. And they will judge you, especially if you're a, a critical person. Nobody likes the critic who spends all their energy exercising the spiritual gift of criticism. And so you're asking for it to come back on your own head, according to Jesus. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates the first two verses of Matthew 7. In, in, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. It's called The Message. And he's very clever in capturing the essence of this here. Peterson translates it, Don't pick on people 
jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. He says that's what Jesus was saying. And then he translates or he paraphrases verse 2 like this. He says, the critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. What is a boomerang? Do you know, anyone here know what a boomerang is? It's a, a weapon they have in Australia, right? The, the crooked stick and you swing it and you throw it out and it goes way out. And then what? It comes back. And you have to watch out and duck or it'll hit you in the head. Hey, are you critical of other drivers? How's your driving? I'm flying home from the Pocono Mountains this morning, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning on Route 80. And I tell you, there was this driver in the, in the center lane on the Jersey, uh, Route 80 in Route, New Jersey. That driver, that driver was utterly oblivious to what was going on there, there behind the wheel, oblivious to what's going on. And I, I can't stand drivers like that, I said. About 10 minutes later, I go flying by this Jersey State Police officer <laughs> and had the obligatory red lights in the back of my car, you know, brrr, slow down, but he didn't pull out, fortunately. It was just my brake lights I'm describing. But I suddenly realized I'm so quick to judge other drivers. How's my driving? I heard a, a story this week about a man who dreamt about the Judgment Day. This is a good story. Now, this story is before there were digital recorders. They still had the cassette tape recorders. He said on the Judgment Day, he went to meet God. And what God did is God had a cassette tape recorder of every word he had ever spoken. He would put the cassette in and he would play what the guy said all his criticisms of other people. And then God had a video, a reel-to-reel video of his own life. And God said, let's measure your life by those thoughts and words that I recorded on the cassette tape. And the man woke up. He said it was devastating. Jesus says, be careful. Why do we judge other people? Let's, let's play armchair psychologist here, okay? I'm no psychologist. I don't know a lot. But if you have a tendency to point out other people's failures, if you're quick to judge other people uh, and to be the critic, I think Jesus is telling you to ask yourself, why do I do this? Have you learned how to listen to yourself? Why do I do this? Is there something deep in my heart, an insecurity that perversely makes me think that the only way I can feel good about myself is to put someone else down? Why do I do this? Or could it be that I have this theological heresy in my mind, whether it's your own religious upbringing or, or I don't know what, that somehow has persuaded you that unless you can Prove to yourself that you're better than other people. 
You won't be able to stand in God's judgment. And the only way you'll stand on the judgment day is to show that you're more righteous than other people. Do you believe that? Terrible, damnable heresy? Or could it be that you just really do believe you're better than everybody else? Hard words from Jesus. James, as we heard earlier, applies it to the church family. The book of James says, again, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. And then here's the, here's the point I want, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? What do we learn here? We learn that when you judge another person, you're doing something very serious. You are usurping the role of God. We're told in uh, Hebrews 12, 23, that God is the judge of all men. And I mentioned in my prayer earlier that Abraham stood in the suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah and he cried out, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Who is going to be the judge of Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, and he did judge it. But that is God's business. The very thought that God is going to say on the judgment day, Okay, John. Let's just measure your performance, just for fun, against the thoughts and criticisms and judgments you made of other people. It makes me tremble. Does that make you tremble? It makes me tremble. Everybody judges. Martin and I were talking about it this week, and Martin said, you know, even homeless people judge the other homeless people. You know, a guy will be sitting under the bridge with the other homeless people and he'll say, yeah, I may be homeless, but at least I have all my teeth. And the toothless guy says, yeah, I may be homeless and I may not have any teeth, but I'm not muttering to myself like that schizophrenic over there in the corner. And it is instinctive in the sinful human heart, to usurp the place of God, to judge another person. Be warned. If you judge others, you will have to answer to the judge of all the earth because you do not deserve to judge. You deserve to be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Each man's work will be shown. The video is going to run. Each man's work will be shown for what it is, 
because, of, because the day, capital D, Judgment Day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is bad news, isn't it? It's been a heavy worship service, hasn't it? But if you've been around this church for very long, you know that we don't just preach the bad news. We preach the good news. We're excited about the good news, and I hope today you're ready to listen carefully because I've got some very good news for you. And the news is this. The good news is that he who will come to be the judge has first come to be the Savior. And I wonder if you know this good news, if you pay attention to this good news. Because though Christ is the judge of all the earth, before he comes on that day, he first came to be a Savior, to die on a terrible cross, to take the penalty of sin upon himself. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, put it like this. Don't you love these verses? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. It goes on. He says, we all, who? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Paul describes it in one compact sentence. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, the obvious question is this. Do you bow before Him as judge of all the earth? earth? Yes, yes, but then does that create in you a hatred of your sin? Does it create in you a holy desire to escape the judgment of God? Does it create in you a sense of guilt and shame? And you say, what do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my shame? And the answer... Jesus says, is come to me. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you been humbled like this? God opposes the proud, but who does he give grace to? The humble. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, before just knowing Jesus as judge, I invite you, I remind you, I plead with you to know him as Savior and to love him as your personal Savior, your personal Savior. Have you come to that place in your life where he's awakened in you that sense of need of the Savior? Has he awakened that in you yet, or are you still slumbering? Today, I pray he's awakening that in you, and then your relationship with him will change, for no longer will he just be the judge, but he will be your Savior. He will be, 
introducing you to God as your heavenly Father and all the benefits of His work on the cross are applied to you, applied to you, and your sins are forgiven, even the sins of judging other people, nailed to the cross. And once you know this, you become a recovering Pharisee, like your pastor. You become a recovering Pharisee. And now you're ready to hear the rest of these words of Jesus down in verses 3 through 6. You weren't ready to hear them unless you've been humbled. But now Jesus becomes very practical. And you know, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount at all, that Jesus doesn't say that you never make any kind of judgments about right and wrong. Who would that make happy? That would just make the devil happy. The devil wants you to pretend like evil is good and evil is acceptable and he thank you very much. No, the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us to think seriously about sin, sin that we see, but he tells us right now you have to be very, very careful in how you respond to it. And this is where Jesus tells that wonderful little story, that parable about the, the speck of dust in one person's eye and the log or plank in the other person's eye. And, and they all must have smiled as Jesus describes this. And what does he say? He says, he says listen, my friends, don't be a hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye first. And learn to say, for example, with Psalm 139, the last bit of Psalm 139. Do you know this prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me. Check the pockets, God. Search me, try me, test my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way with me. What are you simply saying? You're saying, Lord, shine the light, shine your light on my sin first. Jesus says, look at this guy over here. Let's look at him. He's walking around with this big two-by-four, or maybe a three-by-eight plank coming out of his eye, and he sees his brother over here who has a little speck of dust in his eye, and he comes over, whoosh, he says, here, let me try and take that out of your eye. And everybody laughs. How ridiculous is this? Eye surgery is delicate. You don't want some, some blind person fooling with your eye. Sinclair Ferguson says, what is wrong with such a man? He is looking for sins in other people, and he pounces whenever he sees one. So absorbed is he in his campaign that he is blind to the fact that he has sin in his own life far greater than anything he sees in anyone else. So deeply has sin conquered him that he has become blind to it. And what does Jesus say of John Yenshko when he's walking around with a plank in his own eye trying to address the specks of dust in another person's eye? What does Jesus call me in this text? You hypocrite. And what Jesus tells me to do is to consider my problems to be the big ones, 
The, the plank is the big. The log is the big one. My sins are the big ones. But Jesus, that's so unreasonable, you say. It's unreasonable. I'm the victim here. And isn't it obvious that his sins are so much bigger than mine? Remember a few months ago in our study of the Psalms, we came to Psalm 36.2 describing the wicked man. The wicked man. And it says in Psalm 36.2, For he flatters himself too much to see or detest his own sin. And I confess to you that kind of blindness, the, we called it willful blindness. It's not just blindness, it's willful blindness. I don't want to see my sin. I'm just quite satisfied with seeing yours. And Jesus says it is absolutely essential that you and I experience our own personal conviction prior before going to address sin in other people. Sometimes I do marriage counseling. I just want to tell you I'm happy to do marriage counseling. But if you come to me for marriage counseling, I'm going to give you pretty soon, as soon when we start, an interesting homework assignment. Yes, I, if you're the wife, I want to hear about your husband's sins. And if you're the husband, I know I need to take into consideration your wife's sins, but the first assignment really after an introductory discussion is I'm going to give you what's called your log list to make. I'm going to ask you to make a log list. And what do I mean by that? And we sit down and we study in Matthew 7 this passage, and we, we realize that if you want to improve your marriage, then you don't begin by fixing the other one. You begin by actually taking inventory of the planks in your own eye. So I so say, you go home, and I want you to let God do some brutally honest surgery in your own heart and reveal to you what dysfunction, what sins you are bringing to the marriage, and I want you to write it down so I can read it. I won't share it with anybody else. I want to see if you can do this, if you will do this. Because you're going nowhere in improving your marriage unless first you're willing to own the sins that you're bringing in the marriage. And the best marriage counseling I do is when they comply and they are humbled and they, they're able then to move forward and speak humbly and honestly about the, the dysfunctional and sinful relational dynamics that are going on. But you see, first things first. First things first, according to Jesus Parents, teach your kids how to take the log out of their own eye before they just wail off on their brother or their sister. What are you bringing to the equation? It's interesting. The elders of our church, we pay attention to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You who are spiritual, who's he talking about? Is, it, is he talking about the Pharisees? 
Is he talking about the elders of the church? You know who he's talking about. He's talking about people who know how to write their own log list. He's talking about people who have first been humbled, who've addressed the, the plank in their own eye. And he says, be careful, you who are now have the responsibility of going to help somebody else in their struggle against sin. Be very careful. Nobody is saying, I am not saying that when you are upset by someone else's sin, you're automatically a hypocrite. I'm not saying that you are automatically a hypocrite. I am saying that you have to be very, very careful. And that if your attention to your own sin does not match your attention to the other person's sin, that is hypocrisy. Who is the one who can see most clearly? He is the one who is most humble. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't even have any sin, but he was humble. We call him around here the humble king. The humble king. And that's why he is so good in your personal relationship with him, better than any pastor or any therapist could do. Jesus comes to you and he sees clearly to address sins in your life and to restore you. Well, then Jesus closes this out with verse 6. And what does he say here? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Hmm. (laughs) Who is Jesus calling dogs and pigs? That's not very nice. But pigs are unclean. They are the ones unclean. And what is unclean can really mess you up. If you're wanting to be clean and walk in, in holiness and want to walk as a godly Christian, you spend a lot of time trying to just talk with and especially even share the gospel in a way with the unclean or the dogs. Who are the dogs? They didn't have Fido, the friendly pet in the ancient world. They didn't have friendly Fidos. They, dogs were mangy. Dogs were wild. They were like wolves, and they were, they were mean and often rabid. And Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 10, do you know this, where he sends them out to preach? He says, when you go to a town and you preach and you share my love and my gospel, my kingdom, and they, they refuse you. He says, well, then you can shake the dust off your feet and go on your way. And there will be people who don't want to hear you, either when you speak the gospel or even if you address sin as sin in a humble fashion. They won't want to hear it. First, they'll be polite, but they won't be polite for long. They'll say, I'm not interested. And then they'll say, get out of my face. Right? And when Jesus says, when you get that signal back, well, when people are that way, what we need to do is, (laughs) we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And we should not rise up in harsh condemnation of them. Instead, we should react like Jesus did when Jerusalem rejected him. How did he respond? When Jerusalem rejected him, he wept. 
over Jerusalem. His heart was broken. So if people reject you, don't become pompous. Weep. Feel the heart of Jesus, the broken heart of Jesus for those who just won't have him. And remember, I was talking to myself this week when I was a pig, when I was a dog. Jesus gave what was sacred to me. And he gave me his pearls, the valuable treasure of the gospel. What was that he gave me? He gave me himself. He gave you himself. I'm so glad that this blanket advice about dogs and pigs is not universal. I remember the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. What was his mission? He was still Saul of Tarsus, and his mission was to attack, imprison, and even murder Christians, the very people of God. And God came to this wild dog, humbled him, brought him low, and won his heart, forgave his sins, made him clean, and made him new. Are you glad today that in Jesus Christ you are forgiven? In Jesus Christ, you are clean before God. In Jesus Christ, you will say on the judgment day, I'm with him. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I cry not for justice, but for the mercy that's mine in Jesus. Have you come to the place to own him as your Savior? Today is the day, if you never have, if you've been saying to Jesus, get out of my face, don't say it anymore. Say to Jesus, Thank you for giving me what is sacred to a dog like me, yourself. And kneel, kneel before him as the judge of all the earth and your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, on that day when you Make all thoughts and words and actions known. We pray, our Father, that we will be found in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear his hard words today, and they pierce my heart, they convict our hearts. And we, recovering Pharisees, we who look down our noses at other drivers and other people and we who watch the television shows to put down others, oh God, by that standard and even more by your righteous holy standard, there will be judgment. We who are Christians, we thank you that you, you brought us to yourself and we really want to grow, Lord, in this in, this, uh, in these virtues of mercy and grace and kindness and patience and long-suffering with others. Make us more like you. And our Father, on those occasions when we have to address our brother or our sister or our child or our parents or someone else in our church family, 
our husband or our wife. That you would send your Holy Spirit to convict us, to first make our own log list. That we may be humble and cleansed so that we can see clearly to speak humbly and address any sins of others. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the humble king, and we place ourselves in your care, trusting you even on that great day that is to come, the day of the Lord, that we will be found safe in you. And we pray this in your matchless name, King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.